how can you innovate in learning? Hasn't everything already been done yet? No way, but we're going to explore that on today's episode of The Learning Geeks coming up right now. Hello and welcome to the Learning Geeks podcast. This is Bob Gerard, and I am joined by Dana Cock and Jake Gittleson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hey, Gosh, it feels to- like I've traversed the galaxy just to get them together with you guys again. <laughs> How's that for a lead in? Are you setting me up, Dana? <laughs> of course I am. <laughs> I'm just on the edge to learn about this. Oh, my goodness. Last weekend. Yes, exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say a lot about it because I think it will come up when we talk a little bit. And we are definitely going to need to do a An proper Star Wars after show when all three of us are able to get there. But oh, yes. I did get to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland, the new Star Wars themed land there. And it is amazing. It met my expectations, which were super, super high. That's the way I would put it. Actually, exceeded a little bit. Um, and it is just a different type of experience. But I think that I, I think we're going to wind up talking about that. I, I have a feeling that might come up as we talk about learning innovation because I have ideas. I have ideas. <laughs> Are the innovative ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I cannot wait to go. And for those... Those that have not seen it, there are so many videos out there right now because a lot of people, when they did, I think the soft launch, pre-launch, whatever you want to call the name yeah. um, here, they um, a lot of uh, blog sites were able to go in and record it. So I, I know one for, uh, specifically that I watched was CNET. Um, I know others had it, but just yeah. go search for it and check it out. I think just from the videos itself, it just looks so cool. And you don't even have to be a Star Wars fan. I think it's just the... True what they do to it. And even I showed my wife, the Millennium Falcon, who's not a Star Wars fan. I showed her the, what they did with the Millennium Falcon. Even she thought that was really cool. Okay. Now let's reel it back in. Cause we're talking about innovation today. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, Cause I, I know we're going to, gonna, I know, I know. I had to say. I, but, yeah, exactly. But we did promise exactly. people we talk about innovation. So we'll do that. And yeah. Bob, if it comes up again as part of innovation, that's perfectly natural. So Jake, I think you're going to tee this up because you're kind of working on something in this area right now, right? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of kind of following the same trend that we've done the last couple episodes where each of us really brings in a, a current challenge or a challenge that maybe we find that uh, can relate to, that hopefully that other people can hopefully relate to. And the one is around me is around innovation. So most of my career, um, I hear specifically within education or within learning that we need to continue to innovate. And but the challenge with innovation is that it often takes time, it's risky, it definitely can come with failure, it's hard, and it requires an open mind. And none of that is predictable or um, packaged or easy to budget. And that's always my favorite question. What, how do you budget this? What is, what is the cost of this? I, I don't know. We don't even know what we're doing yet, right? But that's what's difficult for people to uh, back you up, right? To get a sponsor or when you are working with individuals and they say they want to innovate when you start to bring up things that are unclear, it does get risky and it's hard for people to support you because um, it's not familiar. It's not the thing that we're typically used to or it's the easy path. Um, so I'm sure that every single person that listens to this podcast is um, is asked to innovate and they either you know do it on a shoestring budget 
and they might not always have that backing. So I wanted to plan this episode really to dedicate time to workshop this and figure out how we approach innovation and learning. So I know that you two guys, um, specifically the time that I spent working together over the many, many years, that you guys have a lot of experience in innovation and learning, mainly because you do work on a team with research and innovation in the title. <laughs> um, so I wanted to throw this out to you. This first question is, why do you guys think your role is so important to the work you do, specifically relating to research and innovation? In our company, um, we need to constantly be reinventing the things that we do in order to stay relevant. And if we're reinventing the things that we're doing and the ways that we're doing them in order to help other companies succeed, that means that our people constantly need new ways of acquiring those skills. And as technologies evolve and as we learn more about how the brain learns uh, and as we look at uh, existing learning approaches, there's just so many things that are, are dynamic about that. And if we approach things the way that we used to, we won't continue to be relevant. There's also a different mindset about how people learn. So for example, if you take a, a, new, uh, a new college graduate and bring them into a training environment that felt like you know, the grade school of the 1900s, they would rebel so fast, they would quit and they would go and find a real job, right? Because if, you know, if you pull out the, the chalkboard and tell them to start writing something with chalk and a slate, I mean, so, I mean, innovation has always been a part of education. And for us in corporate education, we need to continue to innovate. And, and um, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but innovation is not always huge mon monumental things. Sometimes it's smaller incremental things that over time uh, end up resulting in, in great things. So that's my initial take on why, you know, why it's important and why our company invests in a research and innovation team. Yeah, I agree with that, Dan. I have many similar thoughts. Um, the one I would add is I think to really create a learning experience that people pay attention to and are engaged with it's got to be fun. It's got to be cool. It's got to pique people's interest. Uh, that motivation can, you know, sometimes it can come from what the content is, right? You know, if you really, really need to get a nugget of information, you will be willing to sit through an agonizing lecture in order to hear that if you really need that. But lots of times that's not that's not what our learners are experiencing. They're not so much coming to a learning experience to find one thing or to uncover a nugget. Uh, they are there because they've been told they need to be there. It's part of the big curriculum or, or it's a broader ask that they're looking for. And I think that if we do everything the same old, same old, it's not going to be interesting to them. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be fun. They're going to turn out, uh, they're going to multitask, which we know doesn't work. And essentially you're kind of, uh, you know, you're kind of throwing your money away and doing it. So a lot of what I look for in learning innovation is, you know, of course, what's most important is what are the things that we're learning from 
research and from science about how people will learn and how they can learn better, but also what just makes a great experience, a great engaging, immersive experience. Well, and Bob, you know, just to elaborate on one of your points there, if people come into the classroom, they sit down and they look around the guy, know exactly what to expect, right? And they mm-hmm. start getting exactly what they expect you're going to lose them right away. But if they come in, I know exactly what to expect. And from the beginning, it's like, wait a minute, this is different. Right. And and that's yep. what we did with our onboarding program, right? They, they walk in and they start uh, solving puzzles rather than, you know, diving into a lot of the traditional ways that you would start doing things. So I think there's a something about that novelty that breaks the mold and starts people to engage cognitively early on that, that, you know, that drives some of the uh, exciting things that can lead to even more innovation. So one of the questions that I often get from people is that, how do you guys think of those things? Um, it, you know, in my response is I don't have a database of ideas that I just randomly come up with. Um, but I'm curious for, for you guys, like when, what are some tips that people can take away or start to, to do? Cause I know you guys mentioned mindsets and shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that people can start to do to, come up with those ideas that are surprising or can be surprising, you know, uh, for our learners. So Jake, I, just a couple of months ago, I got a new journal. The ad came up on my Facebook page and, uh, the advertisement worked cause it hooked me, uh, because they said, you know, it, <laughs> it listening is uh, to you, <laughs> right. It is a planning process that is designed specifically around your personality type and take the little, Take a little online test to see what your personality type is. Now, I don't know how scientifically validated this survey was or anything like that, but I took the test and the results I got back, it said, okay, here's the one of the four types that you are. You are an alchemist. It's like, oh, that's kind of a cool Dungeons and Dragons sounding name. What does that mean? (laughs) Tell me more. And the way they described it is you are great at creating new things by assembling things that have already been created. And I was like, you know what? That is spot on. That is right. That is, is a lot of what my creative process is, is not necessarily coming up with something completely out of the blue, but it is always being open and mindful and aware of different things that I'm experiencing and starting to think about how can we, um, how, how can we incorporate the good things from that experience and help people learn by leveraging those things and putting those things together. So lots of times I think of it in terms of hammers and nails. Um, as I go throughout my life, I'm always looking for nails, which are business problems that can be helped with a learning solution, right? So so those are the nails. And lots of times that's what gets assigned to us or those are the asks that come of us. But I'm also looking for the hammer. So I'm going from experience to experience and saying, hey, what is it from that experience that I can possibly bring into a learning experience, right? which is now is when I'm going to talk about Galaxy's Edge. So <laughs> <laughs> I figured that would be when, the transition. <laughs> exactly. So so when I was there on Friday night, what I noticed is this. 
you know, really the best way to paint the picture is if you have seen the show Westworld, either the old movie or the new show on HBO, right? Which is about a theme park with human realistic robots and you get to role play being a cowboy. On that show, you will see people who are guests who are just kind of going through the motions or like, yeah, this is cool. I'm a cowboy. Ha ha ha. I'm everything. And then you see people who really immerse themselves in the experience. They take on a persona and when they are in the park, they are really living the part of somebody in the old Western days of the United States. And that's what I noticed about Galaxy's Edge. It's the type of thing that if you go in and you just say, hey, this is a cool theme park experience. I'm going to go ride the ride. I'm going to eat some of the funky food. I'm going to you know, look at the cool buildings and all that. You'll have a great time. That's a, an acceptable level of immersion and that works great. But you can also get in there and basically be like, the 10 year old kid running around in your backyard with your plastic lightsabers and pretend not just pretending, but, but being in star Wars, like, you know, becoming a character and being a person and actually living star Wars like you did when you were a little kid. And they support that the characters that work there, Chewbacca and Ray will interact with you and they will talk with you as if you're a real person in this world and they're a real person in this world. And it's completely, completely immersive. So what I've been thinking about with that since I've got back is, you know, we have, we have designed many, many a learning experience that has a simulation in it at various levels of immersion. So the questions I'm starting to ask are, Number one, what would it be like to create an experience where you could kind of come to it with whatever level of immersion you're comfortable with? You know, you could decide I'm just going to get into this a little bit or I'm going to go full hog in and the, you know, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. Uh, that's one thing I'm thinking. And then the second thing I'm thinking is what if we did an immersive experience where it wasn't just like okay, during this hour, we're now going to role play that you're at a dinner with a client. Uh, you know, what if legitimately for a week, every moment you are assuming a persona, uh, what would that be like? And what would the learning experiences be like there? So that's kind of just illustrative of my process of, I, you know, always have a mindset on what are opportunities from the things I see around me that I could pull into the learning field. So I had this aha experience when I was uh, at Northwestern uh, studying cognitive science. And, and one of the things that was the big aha was I, I came to a point where I realized that the way that I learn is a valid way for other people to learn. I know that sounds a little silly, mm. but what that did is that gave me license to think more deeply about my own learning processes. And, and from that, I came to understand, and this is actually building a little bit on Bob's answer, is that I came to understand that I learn best from experiences and from, you know, immersive type, type experiences. So you know, when I wanted to learn photography, you know, just reading the manuals wasn't enough. I needed to go and land, like, like on one of our recent trips out to Salt Lake, I'm, I'm laying on the ground because there's some flowers that I want to get in the foreground, right? And, and Julie's looking at me like, oh, I think I'm going to walk the other way. But, I, you know, you have to immerse yourself. You have to really get into it, right? 
And, and so I learn things and I study things and then immerse myself. And, and if that's a valid way for me to learn, then I can start to think about how can I innovate the, the experiences that I'm helping to create for other people so that they are equally immersive. So you consider yourself a pretty decent learner and you're observing how you learn specifically and you're realizing what works and what doesn't work and you're bringing that into hopefully trying to using that for innovation, right? Like how, what are some new ways and, and enhancements that I can help other people do that as well? Exactly. And then there's a second part to that. And that is, um, I, I read lots of diverse articles and, you know, it's on everything from, you know, health to uh, science to, um, you know, behavioral things to, I mean, just really a broad swath. And when you start reading a broad swath, you start to make connections that you might not otherwise make. And um, it, sometimes that, at least to me, it wires the brain to think a little differently than I might otherwise uh, traditionally think. I, I think that helps me to develop a little bit more of an innovative mindset. So one of the one of the things that will probably always come up, and you'll probably hear this all the time, that sounds great, Dana, but when the heck do I actually have the time to do all that reading when I'm completely swamped, right? And I mean, I'm listening, Bob, what you said, right, is really the summer, summary of what I'm getting at is you guys are taking a lot of what's around you, the surroundings of what's around you, the experiences that you have, and you're always constantly aware of what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it, and how could it possibly apply to my work, right? And the yeah. term I like, uh, term I like to use is, the, is a learning opportunist, which is you're just constantly aware of any opportunities around you and what can I learn from it, whether or not that's learning for me personally or it's learning for something I can improve in my job, right? That'd but, be an awesome Twitter handle, Jake. Well, exactly. See? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was my Twitter handle until I canceled it all or until I blocked it off. But yeah, it's still a handle that I have. But um, but sp so speaking of that, going back to the challenge, I guess, is that people often struggle with time. What are some techniques that you guys have tried to do to ensure that you're going to Disneyland, <laughs> Disneyland often or you're reading those articles? Or I guess what are some tips and techniques that you can share with others? My initial thought is around taking time to just uh, evaluate. I, I love Bob's comment about journals. I, I've journaled for years, and that's really where I start to make sense out of things that happen around me. And also, uh, it, it just the other day, I was journaling about some experiences I had when I was in elementary school. And uh, it was just fun to write and fun to reflect on those experiences. Um, and yeah, to me, that's, that's one of the things is taking time to reflect and think about, because so often we just dash through life. We dash through articles and, uh, whatever it may be, we, we're running so fast, but that the, the innovation really happens in, in many cases when you're doing other things. Um, it, it, and you start, you get a little spark. Um, I remember one time I was flying back on an airplane with a colleague. We had just had a design meeting in New York. We're flying back and, and all of a sudden this idea came to mind. So I pulled out a pencil and a paper and, and I kind of drew out a new activity that we could just, I mean, it just came and I, I shared it with her and she was like, oh, that's great. Let's do that. And so we did. And that actually changed the way that we designed several of our CBTs for, for quite some time. Uh, but it was, it was, you know, we had all sorts of stuff in our heads 
And it was just kind of during that relaxing moment of riding the airplane back that this idea and spark came. So I, I, that's to me, that's part is, is time to think and reflect and journal and um, just give your brain some license to, to be creative. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. Setting aside time to do that is, you know, is great. Uh, and for me, like setting aside an hour in the morning uh, before I, I jump into work and, you know, that's when I, I don't start off by reading through my emails. I start off by, um, by doing a little mindfulness exercise. Uh, I spend some time reading then, and that's really like the first hour of my day before I commute the 25 feet to my home <laughs> office and turn on the computer and start working. <laughs> so that's part of it for me. Not, I mean, not everybody that works in the morning, that's fine. Um, but, but setting aside some time to do that and just making a regular habit, but then also unstructured time is really good. And, you know, I think of it kind of this way is uh, you've heard that every strength has a dark side and every weakness has a light side. I tend to be a procrastinator. I, you know, I tend to put off things unless I know exactly what I'm doing and how to do them. And what that does is, um, even though it can be annoying and stress inducing, it does free up time for me, like usually in the evenings, which is unstructured time. And then I just mm -hmm. use that to throw myself into these experiences. Mm -hmm. And the key is the key is to trust the process, right? Like I've gotten to the point where I trust, Hey, if I am going to, you know, go down to the void tonight and take my sister to play one of the void experiences that uh, maybe I could be at home cranking through more emails or working on one more deliverable or one more PowerPoint, but I trust the process that that time that I spend, aside from just being good connection, family time and all the benefits that that brings is also going to give me some insight on how we can use virtual reality experiences like that in learning. Right. Well, yeah. Bob, you're also really good at sharing those things, right? At communicating them out, like building excitement. Hey, come with me and let's do it here. And here's some things you're going to experience. And I remember when we did uh, the void down in uh, Orlando, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you gave us enough information. I knew you had a bunch more, but you gave us enough, enough information. So we had context and we could go in and enjoy it. But then afterwards, you know, we, we debriefed it, right? I mean, yep. just while we're, while we were walking around there, we just, uh, we, we shared observations and what was fun and what worked. And so we bounced ideas off each other and you, I, you in particular are good at, uh, you know, bringing people back to things like that and, and setting that context. Well, thanks. So now you guys have to go buy your Oculus Quest sets and play <laughs> Vader Immortal so that not only can we talk about that and process that, but you get the sequel to uh, Secrets of the Empire. See, I think that the problem is, is that, Bob, ever since I've known you, I think I've spent more money buying <laughs> these things. Because <laughs> you've, you've convinced me so well that it would work. <laughs> so I always want to test hey, and play hey, with things. Jake, can I, can I just bring up one other, one other point related to that? And that is, um, you know, I think one of the key mindsets is around how you frame up the question that you're trying to innovate around. Right. Um, so for example, mm -hmm. uh, we've done things where, um, you know, we have leaders who say, well, how do we fix today's problems? That's a different question than how do we create the future? 
right? It's a very different mindset and it leads to different types of problem solving. Or uh, when we were looking at uh, uh, people owning their development, right? You could ask the question, what will persuade our employees to own their development, right? Or you could say, what will empower employees to own their development? Different questions and they lead to different problem solving the first one may not be leading to as much innovation as the second one. So I think there's something about framing up the question so that it, it, uh, it requires and inspires innovation. And, and that's, that's a really good point. Cause that was actually kind of be my next question was around getting sponsorship back up, right? People to back you into your different ideas or a different path. And I think, that point itself is just a key it's a key technique is just mm-hmm. reframing your your actual problem statement in a different way um i often like to do this little technique where um i, I like to ask either the sponsor or the stakeholder whoever i'm working with is that give me one or two sentences of why you believe this is going to be um good or be a change for the learner themselves and it's an incredibly hard um thing to do because often uh, the tendency is usually spin it in a business problem, right? Well, we have to do this because of some business problem, XYZ, performance, blah, 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 blah. But if you get it to think about why is it important for me as an individual and say it in one or two lines, you start to develop a little bit of more of that reframing, Dana. I think that we're, that was, mm-hmm. that's kind of my yeah. intent. Like you're trying to reframe it in a different way, the different problem, the different situation to get you believing in a different way. So, I mean, like, I mean, maybe Bob, I'll turn it to you. What are some techniques, I guess, for you, for when you deal with sponsorships or sponsors to get them to back you? Because again, this, sometimes the end result of innovation is just not clear. So how do you get them to believe in it and trust that whatever comes out of it, that they're going to, they're going to want to support it? It can be very challenging. And, you know, the one challenging aspect I will add to that is, and now we're, everybody who's listening to this, you're now powwowing with us in, you know, commiserating in the learning professionals lounge here. Um, But all of our stakeholders, like they tend to think that learning is easy and Mm -hmm. They've learned things in the past. How hard could it be? So, you, you know, kind of establishing your expertise in an area can be uh, can be a problem. They, they think that they know best. So having conversations with them like you just listed out, Jake, uh, I think that's a great way to do it. One additional technique that I do and has been super helpful recently is prototyping early and often. So going to the design thinking principles and giving them something that they can see and something they can play with. Yeah, so, small, small you know, frequent a, successes, right? Yeah, exactly. So as an example on that, on a recent project that we had, I, uh, I had the idea where essentially creating our version of a Schoolhouse Rock video uh, with a cartoon and with a song. And the song basically contained everything that people needed to know about this topic and was easy to remember and, you know, would stick in their brain that that was the way to go to solve a particular problem. And pitching that is not necessarily the easiest thing to do (laughs) to to garner the vision just from talking about it. So I went ahead and I made a prototype of it. I, I drew some pictures and I'm a terrible writer and kind of did like an animated storyboard and I recorded all the voices and I sang and I made a little demo of it. And you know what? 
we were not successful in selling that to the stakeholders uh, for various reasons. But what's good about that is I have also shared that prototype with four or five other people who are interested in a similar approach and uh, something may be building as a result of that. So again, you know, the, the pro tip there is prototype early, prototype often, let people play with it, experience it. And also, again, trust that even if it's not the right answer, even if this is not the right hammer for this particular nail, now you've got that hammer in your chest of, of tools and maybe you can bring it out again someday. That's a good tip. I remember several years ago I was working on, um, it was actually one of the early business simulations that we did and it was for the insurance industry. And our sponsor, you know, he worked in the insurance industry, so he had kind of that um, insurance type mindset and you know, things have to be done according to the regulations and procedures and things. And so when, when, you know, we talked about simulation, he was pretty reluctant. And, and every time we'd have a design review, you could see he was just looking for ways that he could shut this thing down. Um, and, and yet, you know, we had strong enough sponsors within the learning organization. He said, no, we, you know, we really want to do this. So skeptically, very skeptically, he allowed us to, to do this. And we finally got to the point where we, we ran a pilot. And it was so successful. Everybody was raving about it. And all of a sudden he became our biggest advocate. And that opened the doors, that opened the doors for similar simulations in the banking industry and, in, you know, two or three other uh, areas. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was hard to get to that first pilot and show success, but we were, you know, we were committed to that innovation. And once we got there, it, it just opened the floodgates with a success. So I know we're almost out of time, so we don't have necessarily a lightning round of questions, but I do want to ask you guys real quickly, because I think this one's the most interesting one. Um, failures, right? What are the most epic, memorable failures that you've tried or that have you experienced when you try to innovate? And of course, we've all learned from them. We've all had them. But really quickly, what are those epic failures that you can remember? So after September 11th, 2001, when there was no airline traffic, it basically shut down all of the live classes that we were doing, you know, for, for a period of time. And then that just cascaded. And pretty soon we were doing no live conducts of training. And this is before we had any kind of virtual classroom or, or webcasting solution or anything like that. So I got this crazy idea that maybe people would listen to stuff and try to learn something. So we created what we called the My Learning Network. And we uh, uh, we recorded audio recordings of experts talking to people and, and um, different formats and like little radio shows. And we put them out there on My Learning and we said, hey, while classes are not going on, here's some things you can use to learn some great stuff. And you know what? Like, I think 13 people listened to those recordings <laughs> over the month of that experience ran. And uh, so we shut it down and I was bummed because I thought it was a good idea. But hey, you know what? We basically were podcasting. I was going to say podcast. Uh, it's podcasting. Yeah, it was just before <laughs> that was a thing. And um, and again, that's an idea that whose time had not come yet. And so now it's, um, it's returning and we're yep. doing podcasting for learning. So- there's a failure story with a happy ending. Yep. So I have a success story that ended up, I think, turning into a failure story. 
Okay. And, All right. Good and, flip side. Yeah. And you might remember, Bob, years ago when we created an internal capability called Randy Learning. And the goal behind it was to be able to, to have almost self-serve learning. Uh, and it was designed to be like knowledge-based, right? Where where uh, anybody who's a subject matter expert could create a quick uh, computer-based training course. And we put guidelines saying, you know, they should be 20 to 30 minutes, no longer than that. And it's just for knowledge. It's not really for skills. Well, because it was so easy and was cheap, right? I mean, initially the success was great. A lot of courses were created, and but but because it was so cheap, everybody started creating them for all sorts of things and claiming that it was doing things. You can build skills by taking this, you know, 20 minute or 30 minute course. And, and then people who were subject matter experts who really didn't have the uh, capability of speaking a clear sentence sometimes uh, would create them. And, and so it ended up, it started off as a success and it worked for a while, but uh, it, it ended up, I think, log jamming uh, mm. with a, a lot of courses that really shouldn't have been created that way. So innovation gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, thanks, thanks guys for all that. Um, I feel like this is in a good spot, a good time in my life. I feel like I, with all the things happening in my life right now, I feel like this is a, I needed a refresh and a, a little bit of inspiration. And hopefully you guys, all the listeners have felt this, but I mean, a couple of tips to really, I mean, for me, it's being, having that open mind, constantly curious, block some time, find that white space, um, constantly scan the horizons of, of all these different, getting different perspectives on many different things that are out there and uh, communicate with your sponsor stakeholders and try a little bit at a time, give them a little bit and have patience. That's one of my tips is just have patience, uh, let them come along and, um, and eventually I think it will come and, and again, accept failure. I think that's one of the big things, yeah. but yeah, I think, I think that is, that, that, that is definitely key. I think for, as we continue to debate. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Jake. Thanks for bringing it up. Good it's topic. a great topic. Yep. Yeah. All right. So with this, we are going to close. Uh, I'm going to go off script here a little bit and just let our listeners know that we will try to stay on our cadence through the summer, but man, there's a lot of craziness going on. I, oh, I I'm know. leaving on Thursday for a business trip and I'm going to be gone for three and a half weeks. I will bring my microphone with me, so hopefully we can get something done, but I'll be on the other side of the world. So if you don't hear from us, you know, in our normal, pretty much bi-weekly cadence, don't panic. We haven't gone away. We will be back soon. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, we would love to hear from you and... Uh, hope that you all have a great summer, assuming you are north of the hemisphere. While you're in the northern hemisphere, you're north of the equator. Otherwise, have a great winter. And we Enjoy will, skiing. Yeah, there you go. We will talk to you the next time we see you. So thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, guys. Bye.